so good to be in the presence of God with you as well. A um, couple of things before we get started. You might want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 63. That's where we will spend a majority of our time. But I also want to let y'all know of a couple of things that are taking place to help you and following along with the sermons, keeping up with the sermons, sermon notes, such as that. If you have our app, most of you have our app on your phones. If you have our app and you open up your app right now and you go to the more tab at the bottom right hand side of your phone, you hit more, you'll see notes. It's the third one down. You can punch on notes and it will bring up all of my sermon notes for today. For those who don't have the app, we will have a QR code and other ways for you to get the app faster and the bulletin starting next week. Be patient with us as we're moving forward with this. Um, we're doing this all in preparation of the way we're changing about doing our live stream, the way we're doing uh, trying to get the messages out to the community. So please be patient with us as we navigate this because I'm gonna tell you something, guys. This, this is the hardest thing. Communication is the hardest thing that I have ever had to navigate before in my life. And I know everybody says, well, why can't we just go back the way it used to be? There's no going back. We're moving forward. So let's just move forward and do the best at it we can. We are navigating life at an extremely, extremely fast pace. In Charles Swindoll's book called Growing Strong in Every Season of Life, Chuck tells the story of a young man who is trying to catch a ride home. He calls a taxi. Now, this is back in the days when the taxis were drawn by horses. So he calls a taxi up. The carriage pulls up. He yells at the carriage man, I'm in a hurry. I'm almost late. Drive fast. He jumps in the carriage. As the carriage takes off, he rests back in his seat knowing that he's on his way. He is moving forward. About a minute into the ride, he realizes he made one flawed mistake. He never told the driver where he is going. He peeks his head through the window, looks at the driver and says, do you know where you're going? The driver replies back to him, no, but I'm going fast and we're going there real fast. All of us find ourselves in this season of life. We find ourselves going extremely fast, but unfortunately, most of us really don't know where we are going. We're in a hurry. We're in a hurry to get somewhere. But where that destination is, is different for all of us. It's even the same way when it comes to churches. Churches get in a hurry to move forward. We want to move from season to season. We want to adapt and grow with everything that's coming at us. But moving forward is not always the easiest thing. Especially not easy when you don't know your direction. Every single one of us in our life have a destination of where we want to be. I want you to think about that destination right now, where you want to be. For my wife, that destination is the beach. She longs to be, no, I know her destination's more than that, but for some, it may be a position in your work. For some, it may just be finishing this last year of school. For some, it may be writing your dissertation. For some, it may just be getting to tomorrow. All of us have a destination that we want to get to. As a church, 
I have a destination that I desire for us to get to too. It's not the, desi- it's not the des- destination that I've set forth, but it's the destination that God set forth a long time ago. After Jesus rose from the grave, after he spent some time with his disciples, he knew that his time to go home was coming close. And when the right time had come about, he gave a message to his disciples. It's going to be on the screen, and I'm going to ask us to do this. I want you to do me a favor. We're going to spend a lot of time on these verses over the next five weeks. And I want us to grow accustomed to reading these verses behind me together. So if you will, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Read with me. Come on. It's up here. To the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, Every single one of us is seeking a direction in our life. And sometimes, Father, I think that we're moving so fast in our life that we fail to look at the directions that you have given us for our life. I know many churches have failed to look at the direction that you've given them as well. And Father, it is my heart for your church here at Harmony Grove to be always moving in the direction that you desire for us. Father, this is a scripture that I've read many a times. And it amazes me, the more that I read it, the more that I dig into it, the more that you just continue to throw at me with the direction of how your church should be going. So this morning, Lord, as we take time to dig in to this first aspect of what you desire for your church, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truth of your words. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to understand the purpose for your church. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In this scripture, Jesus gives three directions. And I want you to do, it's going to seem a little bit childish, but we're going to be doing this a lot. I want you to do some hand motions with me. You ready? The first direction that Jesus gives us to go is up. Everybody, come on. You can do it. I know my deodorant's wearing out. I'm going to try not to raise my hands too far. 48-hour deodorant doesn't even last four hours. But the first direction that Jesus wants us to go is up. The second direction that Jesus wants us to do is out. The third direction that Jesus wants us to go is in. So do it with me again. Up, out, in. Directions have to be simple. If directions are not simple, people get lost in the translation of these directions. I hate getting directions in North Georgia from somebody who's lived here all their life. 
If you've ever asked for directions from anybody who's lived here all their life, they're going to tell you to turn next to Uncle Russie's cabin, go a couple of hundred steps, whatever a couple of hundred steps is, and then you'll bear to the left at Aunt Ethel's old milk churn or whatever. They give you these craziest things. Directions have to be simple. And if they are not simple, they'll never be able to be followed. Jesus' directions for the church are simply up, out, in. And while we are moving in these directions of up, out, and in, he wants us to do two things. He wants, and you got to do these hand movements with me too, okay? He wants us to reach. Everybody reach. But he also wants us to serve. So as we move up, out, in, we are constantly reaching and serving. Y'all are doing good. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. The the 90s started flashing back at me as fast as mullets are flashing back at me from the 80s right now. I don't understand it, but it's coming back. When we are focusing on moving in an upward direction, we are focusing on Jesus. And the most important thing that we're focusing on with Jesus is our worship. Worship is one of those things that a lot of people have a very bad misconception of. And I've looked for great definitions of worship, and they're hard to come by. While I was on sabbatical during the month of February, me and Jennifer went up to the Billy Graham Training Center and um, got to sit under some great teaching of Tom Rayner. Also got to sit under some great praise and worship by a guy by the name of Michael O'Brien. He used to be the lead singer for New Song. And Michael O'Brien, he did not write this but I went back and looked at, listened to my things, but he is the one who gave me this definition of worship. And the definition he gave was this. Pure worship is when everything that we are acknowledges everything that God is. Pure worship is when everything that we are acknowledges everything Thing that God is. Now, when we're talking about everything that we are, we've got to understand that covers a multitude of aspects of our life. It covers our gifts. It covers our talents. It covers our abilities. It covers our possessions. But the one thing that it really hits on, and a lot of us overlook this gift that we're given on a daily basis is it encompasses our time as well. Time's important to us. Time is one of the most important things that we have in our life. The time that I had with my son yesterday is time that is gone. I can never get that time back. And as fast as that day went yesterday, today's gonna go just as fast. And when it comes to time, We have a lot of things going against us. First, time is limited. One aspect that really hit me hard through the month of February was this. Everybody on the face of the earth is given the same amount of time in a day. 
I've been praying for a long time for a 36-hour day. I really have. You know what I mean? You feel like you've got so much to do in your day that you just simply cannot get it all done. And it seems like the further we get on with life, the more stuff that gets added to us. So we're having to constantly play this shuffle game of trying to get all these things going in our life. So the first thing we got is time is limited, but we were all given the same amount of time. The next thing we got is just what I talked about. We've got so many things drawing at our attention and our time. Even right now as I speak, time is passing by. And there's so many things that I know that are drawing your attention right now. You're thinking about maybe the golf course here in a few minutes. Maybe you're thinking about lunch, beating the rest of the churches to the uh, restaurants. That's why we start at 1015. So y'all can get to the restaurants. Y'all can beat everybody there and have a great day. But at the same time, there's a couple things that I want you to really think about when it comes to your time. In an average week, every week, we are given 168 hours. A good sleep habit, a good sleep habit, for those who don't know, is eight hours. So from some of you teenagers, eight hours a day is a good sleep habit. For a good sleep habit, 56 of those hours will be consumed, taking us down to 112 hours. About 50 of those remaining hours will be consumed by work, and in that's the traveling to and from work, or by school, and in that is also the aspect of homework. Now, I know some of you who are in applied sciences and applied math in high school right now, you tell me that 50 hours just doesn't cover it, and I get it. But at the same time, this is the average number, 50 hours. So that takes the hours that we have remaining down to 62. Around 11 of those hours will be used for eating or snacking. That may be a little bit more for me. <laughs> but that takes you down to 51 hours. An average of 30 hours, and I want you to pay close attention to this one. An average of 30 hours a week will be used in watching TV, hobbies, social activities, or sporting events knocking you down to 21 hours left. Close to eight of those hours a week will be used in simply getting ready and bathroom breaks. For some of you guys, I've heard about how long it takes y'all to get ready. I know y'all need a couple more than eight hours, but it'd be all right. But this takes you down to 13 hours. Eight more of those hours will be used by cooking, cleaning, laundry, yard work, whatever else you got going on, taking you down to only five hours left. But there's one important aspect that's been left out of all this. And that's the average number of hours used in worship a week. The average number of hours used in worship a week is somewhere between two to five hours. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Because when we think about worship, a lot of times we think about what goes on here. 
But if this is your concept of worship, I need to tell you something. Your concept of worship is extremely shallow. Because worship is not something that you do on Sundays. It's not something that you do on Wednesdays. It's something that needs to encompass every day of the week. Every day. So when they're saying somewhere between two to five hours a week are used for worship, you need to understand they're talking about corporately and personally as well. What's personal worship? Personal worship is things such as reading your Bible, things such as praying, things such as taking time to reflect on what God has done in your life. And things as simple as singing a song. And I know some of you are saying, but don't we need music to sing a song? You got a radio, don't you? You got a phone, don't you? Some of you still have iPods. I think they're still around. You stream your music, don't you? Have you ever thought about simply taking time in your day to listening to a song that may be resonating with you at the moment? I'm going to be honest with you guys. With this time frame in mind, and just so you know, this was according to a poll done by Lifeway in 2019. But with this time frame in mind, can we honestly say that we are truly worshiping God with everything that we are? I want you to understand something. I'm not up here just preaching at you. Because this sermon cut me just as deep as it cut you. The staff's already heard half of it. I ought to excuse them because they've heard half of it throughout the week. But I have done a lot of wrestling with this. And I'm going to tell you why I've done a lot of wrestling with this. Because you know what? During the month of February, when I was off, it was easy to stay in a constant habit of worship. It was easy for me to take time to read the Word. It was easy for me to take time to reflect on what Jesus has done in my life. It was easy for me to take time in prayer. It was easy for me to take those times where the kids were gone. I I turned on my phone, turned on some music that really resonated with me at the time. And it was easy to get into a heart of worship. But as soon as March come around, you know what happened? Hit the brakes. Hit the brakes. Because everything is being thrown at me. Everything is being thrown at you as well. Your phone is ringing. Your kids are sick. Homework is due. You got a task at work that you're trying to finish. You got sporting events, not just today, but also tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. You've got multiple kids going in multiple different directions at one time. I understand. I understand. But if we're really going to ascribe to this being our definition of worship, there's got to be some changes. There's got to be some changes. And those change, they start with us. They start with every single one of us. I know life is consuming. 
Work is consuming. Kids are consuming. School is consuming. But our daily act of worship should be more than just 15 minutes in the morning. Our daily act of worship should be a commitment. A true, honest commitment. When Jesus' disciples were heading to Galilee, because he's telling them, I want you to go to a designated place. We all have a designated place of worship. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. But when they headed out to Galilee, they had to make a commitment to go. When they went, they saw him. Most worshipped him. Some still doubted. And I want you to understand, this isn't talking, even though it says the 11, there were more than just 11 there. Corinthians tells us that more than 500 saw him in Galilee at one time. So he's talking to a multitude of people here, just like I'm talking to a multitude of you, talking to a multitude of people on the internet right now. But it took a commitment for the disciples to move forward to engage in this act of worship. And you know, the disciples had an advantage they had a huge advantage because they had just saw the ultimate commitment made. They saw the cross. They saw Jesus' body stretched out on that cross, knowing that it should be them in his place. And he did that so that they could be redeemed of their sin so that they could have a new life in him. So to say that they understood commitment, yeah, they knew what a commitment was. They just saw it. But for us, the cross, we don't see it as a commitment anymore. For some of us, we see it as a symbol of religion. For some, it's seen as a piece of adornment that you put on your body. For some, it was a symbol of torture and shame. But for Jesus, the cross was a commitment to you, to me, and to everyone who would believe in that finished work on the cross. Commitments just aren't taken as seriously as they once were. I can becomes I can't. I do becomes I don't. I will becomes I won't. And the words of our mouth become so empty and our actions fade away so fast that we've really lost the concept of what a commitment is. When you surrendered your life to Christ, you made a commitment to Him. You made a commitment to Him because He made a commitment to you. And for many of us, we forgot about that commitment. We forgot about that commitment of intentionally worshiping him. So how did it happen? Our desires and our feelings became dictators and authorities in our life. 
Well, I'd like to go worship this morning, but there's other things that I need to do. Well, I would like to go worship this morning, but I did all this stuff this morning and I just really don't feel like it. I would like to worship this morning, but I've got this 7 a.m. meeting that I have to be at and there is no way that I can take time for worship. You know, a lot of people don't understand the whole concept of love. And the reason they don't understand it is because love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. And that commitment was shown to us on the cross. So what is the appropriate response to this kind of love and commitment that was made to us? The best one that I could find in the whole Bible is in Psalm 63. In Psalm 63, I want to give you a little narrative behind it. David, the writer of Psalms, he's in the wilderness. He is running away from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And he finds himself in some pretty dire situations. He finds himself without food. He finds himself in places to where there is no real good drinking water. And he finds himself at a point of desperation that there is only one way for him to turn. And I want you to look with me in Psalm 63. We're going to read the whole Psalms and then I'm going to go back and hit some high points. I want you to look at where David's desperation went. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you for you. My soul thirst for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake at night thinking of you. Meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper. And I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong and right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become a food for the jackals. Sorry. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be shamed. Does our worship, does our worship look anything like this? Is this the response that God deserves? Is this the response 
for what he did for us on what we just celebrated last weekend that he truly deserves. I'll even go one step further. Is this the response that he desires? Because I believe it is. I want us to look at a couple of things real fast. And I mean this real fast about what the psalmist says here. The first thing we see is we see him longing for water. Now, water throughout the Bible is symbolic of many things. It's symbolic of spirit. It's symbolic of difficulties. It's symbolic of spiritual matters. But it is also symbolic of the word itself. And this is something that we really take for granted. And guys, I know for those of you who are in small groups, you know I have a format set up for you to where you read at least five times a week. We account for Sunday and Wednesday as you digging into the word. But we desire for you to be in the Bible every day because this is where God speaks. I have so many people tell me on a daily basis, I I just want to know God's will for my life. Have you ever read his word? Have you ever read his word? Yeah, but you don't understand. That's not speaking to me. Yes, it is. This is a living, breathing document. And what amazes me is, you know, we went through the New Testament twice in our small groups. For those who are in the small groups, did you pick up on something the second time that you didn't pick up on the first time when you were reading? Why is that? Because it is, while the word doesn't change, the meaning and application to your life is ever-changing as you are. It has everything that we need. Even Solomon said that there is nothing new under the sun. And one of the greatest ways that we can spend time in daily worship with Jesus is simply reading his word. You need to know the word. I desire for the day that somebody comes up to me and after a sermon and says, you were wrong. You want to know why I desire for that? Because I know you're getting it. I know you're digging into it. I know you're devouring it. I know it's changing you. You're allowing it to change you. And you are actually applying it to your life. Are you applying the word of God to your life in worship? The next thing we see in verse two, he says, I gazed upon your power and your glory. I wanna ask you a question. How many of y'all have thought simply about this fact? What has God done for you this week? What has God done for you this week? And a lot of times we miss out on it. Why? Because we're running from one place to another. And we fail to take time to even think about what God is doing in our lives. Then we find ourselves getting to the end of our day. We lay in our bed. And it's funny because Pastor Jerry brought this up to us this week. What is the first thing that we start thinking about when we get in our bed? Either everything we've got to do, everything we've got to fix, or the problem that is coming at us. 
The next thing you know, an hour has passed. We're sitting there wide-eyed in our bed thinking about all these things that are going on. What did the psalmist say? I wish I could say I do this, but I really don't. The psalmist said right there in verse 6, I lie awake thinking about you. Meditating on you through the night. You know, it's hard to meditate on what God's doing in your life when you're thinking about all your problems. But can I remind you of this? Our God is bigger than any problem that we have. We focus on the little things. And at a time when we should be meditating on what he has done for us that day or what he has provided for us that day, we're caught up thinking about what we need. What problem we got to fix? What task do I have to do? Allow this to change you guys. The next thing we see in verse three and four, he says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. Amen to that. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live Lifting up my hands in prayer. You know, he, he's showing something different here with prayer that I really haven't even put in practice in my life. He's showing more action to prayer than probably most of us do. Think about what he's saying. He lifts his hands. And where's he lifting his hands? Where's the first direction we need to be going? Exactly. He's lifting his hands up to God in prayer. I find it funny that everybody talks about the problems that they have. And they like talking about their problems. They love talking about the situations that are going on in their life. But there is one thing that they always fail to tell me about. They'll tell me about how the problem is affecting their life, but they will never tell me about how they're praying about it. Anybody else guilty? I'm good about talking about my problems. I'm great about telling you my problems. I can explain every problem that I have. I can only count to nine and a half. I'm not praying that finger grows back, by the way. But I do not pray a lot about my problems. I sit in bed at night and meditate on my problems when I should be taking those to him throughout the day. It's another simple aspect of worship that we miss lifting our hands to him in prayer, meditating on him, reading his word, these are all daily aspects of worship that seem so simple. And you know what? I know every one of you know these. But let's be real with ourselves. Do we apply them? Your pastor is going to stand before you and tell you this. I'm guilty of not always following these. 
But there's still one more. The next thing he says is he talks about singing songs of joy in verse 5. The psalmist is completely satisfied with God. And what he is completely satisfied with is what he sings about. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not attacking modern music or any type of music whatsoever. But it's kind of funny. You think about the psalmist is singing what satisfies him to some of the music that some of us listen to today. You hear songs about drinking. You hear songs about sex. You hear songs about drugs. You hear songs about a lifestyle of reckless behavior. And you know why they sing them? Because that's what satisfies them. You ever thought about that? You're reading through Proverbs in Sunday school. A lot of people will tell you to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Do not follow your heart. The, song, the Proverbs is clear. Guard your heart. Why? Because out of the overflow of your heart is where all the life circumstances come about. And out of the overflow of your heart is what comes from your mouth. What are you singing about? What are you singing about? Because whatever you're singing about is honestly probably what satisfies you. It's what you are using to satisfy the voids and holes in your life. And I know there's a lot of discussion here lately talking about some of these churches. And y'all know the ones I'm talking about. It's funny how they hit the mainstream when something goes bad. And a lot of people are saying that, well, you shouldn't sing their songs because some of those people were involved in adultery. So let me ask you this. Should we write off everything just because simply has been simply because someone was involved in adultery who wrote it? Because if we do that, you need to take the book of Psalms and rip it out of your Bible. Well, let's not stop there. Let's not stop there. Because if we need to do away with things that people have read about or people have done evil things like adultery, what about murder? Well, if you want to take murder in consideration, you need to rip every one of Paul's epistles out of the Bible. Also, the first five books out of the Bible. Also, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all of these out of the Bible. Well, I'm telling you this is because I want you guys to be very careful about this boycott culture that's happening. Because if you're going to boycott one thing, I will hold you to it everywhere. Every single aspect. The reason I'm telling you this is because one of the songs that's resonating the most with me, it's a song that's written by Hillsong. And some of you've heard it. It's called So Will I. And it talks about the majesty of God's creation from the very beginning to where we are today. It talks the majest, about the majesty of Jesus at the cross. And it talks about the glories of his salvation that he offers us. 
And you know what? I've been through that whole song looking at Scripture. And I can't find a single thing wrong with it. So should I stop singing it? Simply because somebody who was involved with the organization where adultery took place, should I do away with it? If so, you can hand me your Bible at the end. If you're going to boycott one, you got to boycott them all. Music resonates with us because it hits our heart. And worship through music is something that I believe every Christian should be a part of every single day of their life. And I don't know about you, and I love it, but it's hard for me to worship Jesus to Leonard Skinner. I love it, but it's hard for me to worship Jesus to Leonard Skinner. Brian, have you ever worshiped Jesus to 38 Special yet? It's hard. At some point in time in your life, you need to commit to a daily act of worship through song. You say, but why, Scotty? Because Psalm 63 is the perfect portrait of what daily worship should be like. But it's going to take a commitment. So in closing, I want to ask you this. What are we reaching for? Are we reaching for success? Are we reaching for athletic ability? Are we reaching for affection or acceptance or knowledge? Because whatever you are reaching for, that is what you're worshiping. Our worship is directed one direction, up. And our first step in reaching up in worship is seeking Jesus out daily in our lives. And today, I'm challenging every one of you. I'm challenging you to redirect your worship. For some of this, this will take a revival. And I'm not talking about a revival service. I'm talking about a true revival in your heart for you to acknowledge everything that God is. For some of us, it will take repentance. Repentance of sin. Sin that is hindering you from worship. And a lot of this sin comes down as idolatry. Because some of us, we're gonna have to repent and kill some idols in our life. Go back to the time frame. 30 hours, average of 30 hours watching TV, social activities, sporting events. Can that be redirected? Yes, it can. Should it be redirected? I believe it should. But for some of you, it will take surrender. Because the reason some of us can't worship is because we can't worship something that we've never surrendered to. To truly worship Jesus, you have to surrender your life to him. 
And the reason you should surrender your life to him is because he's already surrendered his life for you. Our sin is what separated us from God. It wasn't God who separated us from him. It was our sin. Jesus knew that there was no way that that separation could be bridged by man himself. So Jesus came, gave his life to make an atonement for our sin and laid the bridge that takes us from where we are to where God is. And for some of us today, there's a good chance that some of you need to repent of the direction that you're heading. Turn around and walk towards that cross. Walk towards that bridge that Jesus made for you. Father, my heart is so heavy this morning for the simple reason of where I fall short even in this message. Father, my heart is not always drawn to you and worship like it should be. So Father, I'm asking that you would help me to make that commitment. Make that commitment to daily reach up to you. Because you are good. You are worthy. You are holy. And you are everything I need. Father, help us all to apply these simple truths to our lives. We already know them, but applying them is a totally different task. Help us to move things around. Help us to kill the idols that we need to kill. Help us, Lord, to spend intentional time with you so that daily we can reach up to you and worship. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.